0: Over here, I've got a story for you. Since the beginning, when they collected all that debris in Roswell, they set up a secret base where it could all go, under lock and key, without anyone knowing. Eisenhower greenlit the whole thing. Most secret base in the whole world. They studied and figured out how those ships worked. Been testing the technology ever since. At least, that's what I hear. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influence the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson. And welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology? On this episode... Episode 5, Area 51, Part 2. Why doesn't the public interest in military spending and the geopolitical events of the 1980s and 90s explain popular fascination with Area 51. And how can the field of narrative psychology shed some light on the subject? After the break, we power up our graviton reactors and reverse engineer our way into understanding of the real fascination with Area 51. Alright, howdy, Theorologists. Well, as the title suggests, this is part two of our Area 51 discussion. In this episode, we dive into the psychological aspect of Area 51 fascination. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I recommend pausing this and listening to the first part in order to get a brief history on Bob Lazar and the beginnings of Area 51. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, how could you possibly have gotten a two-parter out of this conspiracy theory, well then you really aren't interested in conspiracy. Or, you've never learned about Area 51 previously. Which is okay. The newbies are happily welcome to this brave new world. Just just understand that that I gave you a heavily abridged grade school textbook version of everything. I mean, if you want to see how long this can go, and here's a an unsolicited plug for some fellow podcasters. Go, go check out the five-hour-long discussion of Area 51 by those conspiracy guys. I mean, seriously, it's irreverently funny, and it takes a great deep dive. After that, you can thank me for keeping it short. Besides, to understand why it's so ingrained in pop culture, we, we don't need to understand every bullet-point detail of the history. For those that just need a refresher, you will recall that we introduced the history of the heavily restricted installation, known as Area 51, and covered some of the known on-the-record timeline highlights of this aerial test facility. We also covered claims of Robert Lazar regarding his involvement in the reverse engineering of alien technologies for the purpose of advanced development in our own military technology. Finally, we reviewed the contemporary events occurring around the time of Lazar's claim disclosing the truth of Area 51. We discussed the end of the Cold War and the Base Realignment and Closure Act. But, like I said at the end of Part 1, these events might explain a call from the public for spending disclosure, but they certainly don't explain the popularity of Area 51 in our imagination. I mean, in fact, with what was going on, There should have been a public outcry against potentially wasteful spending on some fanciful junk science that might be going on at this facility. And, of course, that wasn't the case. Area 51 instead filled our thoughts with the real possibility of something otherworldly. Now, since we covered all that history last time, let's just jump right into our theoryology and get into Part 2. Narrative Identity To define narrative identity, at the wiki level, the theory of narrative identity postulates that individuals form an identity by integrating their life experiences into an internalized, evolving story of the self that provides the individual with a sense of unity and purpose in life. This life narrative integrates one's reconstructed past perceived present, and imagined future. Further, this narrative is a story. It has characters, episodes, imagery, a setting, plots, and themes, and often follows the traditional model of a story, having a beginning, middle, and an end. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, We, as individuals, deconstruct and rearrange our life experiences as we go through life into a cohesive narrative arrangement. There are several weighty texts out there that discuss things in great depth, but I found an article in The Atlantic, written a couple years ago, which helped me grasp the concept. The article explains, Life stories do not simply reflect personality. They are personality, or more accurately, they are important parts of personality along with other parts, like dispositional traits, goals, and values. Now, it goes on to say that in the realm of narrative psychology, a person's life story is not just a Wikipedia biography of facts and events of life, but rather the way a person integrates those facts and events internally picks them apart, and weaves them back together to make meaning. See, this narrative becomes a form of identity in which things someone chooses to include in the story and omit, and the way that person tells it can both reflect and shape who they are. A life story doesn't just say what happened. It says why it was important and what it means uh, for who the person is who they'll become, and even what's going to happen next. Now, when other people talk about themselves, they, they typically do so in a narrative way. I mean, that's, that's just how we communicate as human beings. So, in that case, storytelling, fictional or non-fictional, realistic or embellished a bit, is a way of making sense of the world around us. And making sense of ourselves. You know, the truth is people aren't writing their life stories from birth though. You know, the ability to create a life narrative takes, takes a little while to, to come online. It, the development process originally gives priority to things like walking, you know, talking, exploring objects, understanding the permanence of things. Young children can tell stories about single, isolated events, usually with some guidance. Now, following that, much of adolescence, of course, is dedicated to learning what goes on in a story, and even what makes a good story in the first place. So as time evolves, as our lives continue and we grow, so does our story. Now, how can we apply that to this scenario? How does understanding of this life story construction fit into the Area 51 conspiracy? Well, let me uh, pull it all together here. With a little uh, example, a trial error. I sat down and wrote this story, thinking through it. Now, it's nothing new. It'll sound very familiar. It goes like this. In 1947, an unidentified flying object crashed near Roswell, New Mexico. After determining that this craft was not Earth-based and was in fact of extraterrestrial origin, a dedicated remote facility was established for the express purpose of understanding this alien technology and incorporating the technology into our own. Under the auspices of testing advanced but still conventional aircraft, for the military, testing proceeded with advanced propulsion, stealth technologies, new alloys that were stronger and lighter than conventional materials, and both defensive and offensive weapons technologies. This testing was of course observed at times by the public, which explains much of the UFO sightings throughout the west and central areas of the country. These new technologies were slowly incorporated and deployed into our own, advancing aeronautics, weapon systems, and even the space program. Eventually, due to some unfortunate small disclosures and exposure of the facility, it became necessary to establish technological dominance, and an unassuming, talkative staff scientist was given just enough access and exposure to recognize that there was technology well in advance of anything else in the world. He was allowed to make his statements public without recourse, thereby confirming suspicions of other world governments that the U.S. clearly held the advantage. This realization led quickly to current events at the time, such as the dissolution of the Soviet Union and a restructuring of global political power. Now, you see what I did there? Doesn't that fit nicely into something we could call the life story of the UFO mystery? At least in the U.S. I mean, this is the real appeal. It fits into a narrative that provides for a storytelling process. You know, it could be a movie plot. I mean, in fact, it it pretty much has been. You know, it would make for some good books. Well, that's been done too. I mean, you get the idea. In fact... No matter what level of belief you have in the extraterrestrial, this narrative flow appeals to you at a deep psychological level. And Bob Lazar? Well, the reason you don't know much about him is that he almost functions as a MacGuffin to the story, there only to move the plot along to the next act. It's a pivotal point, but it's not the meat of the story. In Area 51, acts as this capstone that pulls all of these separate and individual events that occurred over the 40 years prior to Lazar's statement together. I mean, if you just can't bring yourself to consider this based on the alien aspect, then replace Roswell with the influx of brilliant minds that immigrated from Europe during and after World War II into the U.S., all the advances being made by uh, groups such as the German scientists and engineers that were originally being pursued by the Nazis for their own nefarious purposes, guess where they went? But, of course, the United States couldn't let the world know that so much of our advanced military technology ultimately came from groundwork developed in Europe and risk that these other countries would demand that the technology be shared because of shared origin and you know, the government manipulated then an unassuming scientist into publicly claiming that highly advanced even alien technologies were being developed thus changing the focus from the origin of the technology to the strange alien aspect of it so there you again two examples Of how this narrative is formed and brings things into a cohesive nature, all because of Area 51. Now, before we summarize this, let's apply this Area 51 uh, conspiracy to our endurance test and ask the questions How long has it already been around? Well, 30 years. But see, this is a strange one because it's as It's permeated such that people believe it's much older. You know, again, the story works so well, it seems to have existed since the moment of the facility's inception. Has it had a large influence in popular culture and media? Absolutely. I mean, we could list movies, television, books, and it'll keep going. Is it still relevant today? Absolutely. I mean, remember, Area 51 may now be somewhat acknowledged by the government, but it's still a restricted facility. It still has things going on. There are still sightings going on above it. There's still so much that can be explored with Area 51. Now, will it continue to capture public imagination going forward? Well, I think so. I think without a doubt. You know, Until we're taking tours and walking through hangar bays and empty labs, it will exist, either as a source of uh, hidden answers or as the imaginative set piece of science fiction entertainment. So, now, before you assume that I'm a skeptic that's wholeheartedly dismissive of this conspiracy, hear me out. You know, it would be simple to take this explanation of narrative identity and just close the book on the mystery of Area 51. I mean, it might even be tempting to apply this premise to all conspiracy theory. You know, it certainly does a great job of explaining the public appeal in the installation and why it so is easily incorporated into pop culture as a story arc with movies, television, and print media. But... That just isn't the case. The story of Area 51, which began with Lazar's testimony, provides a a capstone to a single continuous theme that only covers some elements, even if key, cherry-picked from the arena of ufology and secret technologies. I mean, while it certainly satisfies the requirements for much of the public, which can wrap the whole story into a nice, tidy package with just enough of the unbelievable and outlandish to make it a fun conversation piece, the luster has waned among the conspiratorial community. Now, ufology enthusiasts and UFO fans have already begun to dismiss Area 51 as a red herring, and returning to original conclusions about the final destination of Roswell crash debris. Those that attribute the advanced technologies to secret government research and cover-up believe that acknowledgment was only intended to distract and dissuade the public from further investigation and inquiry. As we've discussed, much of the ufological community has largely dismissed Bob Lazar's story anyway. While there are still those that are firmly uh, uh, believed Uh, and, uh, and believe. While there are those that still firmly believe and support the claims of Bob Lazar and believe that answers can be found deep within the secure facility, the biggest fan, in truth, of Area 51 is undoubtedly Hollywood. I mean, it has become a favorite actor in its own right with the versatility to play the part needed for any story told. With all of this in mind, it almost changes the focus of the conspiracy theory away from the cover-up of Area 51 and toward the acknowledgement and moderate disclosure of the installation itself. It fits the narrative too well and could have been proffered solely to end the discussion and diffuse the inquiry. Just when people might begin to get suspicious, a claim so incredulous is made, allowing for many to go back to dismissing the whole thing as fantasy. Seems too easy, doesn't it? But, just like our own lives, the story keeps evolving. Perhaps the next chapter to the story of Area 51 is already being written. Okay, that is all for today. Thanks so much for joining me. If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheorology.com, like the show at facebook.com slash Podcast, find me on Twitter at TheorologyPod, or just drop a rate and, uh, and, and review at iTunes. Now, all of the info can be found at the show website, com. The wonderful music, as always, is provided by Adam Henry Garcia. Now, if you'd like to hear more of Adam's music, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. Now, I'll see you all again in two weeks when we'll tackle another theory and make sense of the public public popularity. But until next time, remember... Beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.